0: Welcome back to the Walk A Mile In My Shoes podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I'm your host Chris Young and over the next bazillion years or so I'll be giving you the opportunity to walk a mile with a whole host of different folk with an occasional solo reflection on the state of the mental health system in the UK today. In this episode though I speak with the delightful Rosie Cappuccino, Mind Media Award winner for her talking about BPD, that's Borderline Personality Disorder, not the Boston Police Department blog, and the author of the upcoming book, Talking About BPD, a stigma-free guide to a calmer, happier life with BPD. I'll put links to her blog, Twitter feed, and book in the blurb. Hi Rosie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me on the show, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to be here.
0: That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted. It's, it feels like um, we've, we've been sort of promising this uh, conversation for about a 1,000 years and uh, finally, <laughs> impetuous, <laughs> impetuously, we, we we managed it today, which is, uh, yeah, it was great rejoicing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, it's really good to be here. Um, I got I got a bit too anxious to kind of listen to the po- to the podcast today before the show because I thought, oh gosh, if I start listening to all the other people being so eloquent and articulate, <laughs> I'm going to freeze <laughs> up and not know what to say. So I think after the show I'll listen.
0: Yeah, um, no, no, yeah, no, it's, yeah. I mean, uh, people are people, aren't they? It's uh, lovely. so I've invited you on and. Um, I could I could dive in and say this is what I'd like you to talk about, but this is your show. So what would you like to talk about?
1: Well, um, I'm just quite interested in, in your journey. You've walked around, is it the UK?
0: <laughs> I've walked around about half of the UK. Uh, I, I, I I bailed out due to insanity round about uh, North Wales. Uh, okay. But, <clears throat> but yeah, I started that in... Uh, 2011, April the 6th, the anniversary of my mum dying and uh, uh, I decided I was going to walk around the edge of the UK because that's where many people with mental health problems feel they are uh, and that I was going to, um, mm-hmm. after speaking to a couple of friends of mine, I, was, I decided I was going to do it with no money because if if I took money with me, I would then have I wouldn't have the motivation to engage with people and talk with talk mm. with people. That that was the idea anyway. Uh, and, and before that, they'd given me a book by a guy called Satish Kumar, who was a, a Jain monk in the 1960s, who went on a peace march from India into Pakistan uh, when the two country countries were at war. And his guru said to him, you'll not be taking any money with you. Uh, and mm. he walked from India into Pakistan, expected and received great hospitality uh when the two countries were at war and i thought it, surely if if he could get that um in those circumstances surely the good people of the uk would uh look after me and blimey did they so yeah it, right from day one they were fantastic you know people invited me into their homes uh people all, all the way all the way around um People gave me everything from a, a few kind words to uh, a week in their family home to peanut butter sandwiches to, you know, it's, it's just been, it was a, a real privilege uh, and an and an absolute hoot. And it's one of those things that we talk about things being life affirming, but yeah, I, I felt like I, I was saying to people, told you so all the time because <clears throat> there'd recently been a uh, uh, a program on radio 4 saying that something like 80% of people wouldn't knowingly uh allow somebody with a mental health problem into their home and mm. i sort of thought well bugger that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll i'll show you and mm. and i did you know people and once you start talking about mental health mental ill health mental illness people seem to find it very easy it's like you open a door for them you say look I've just talked about my mental health. Nobody's exploded, you know, um, and and, and it, so it, it was it was lovely on 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 those terms, and uh, it was uh, an absolutely great journey. Um, mm. You know, obviously, I still have to finish it. You know, I have to return to North Wales. I have to get round <laughs> the the nice bits of England and then back up to Edinburgh. But you know, life's long and. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. But this yeah. isn't about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think what you're saying about um, how, you know, the coast is kind of the liminal place, yeah. kind of the edges yeah. and the very yeah. fringes. And lots of people with mental health problems do feel very much on the fringes that's of right. society, that's unfortunately, right. because there is so much stigma and discrimination, but it can be so difficult for people to be accepted into a job or you know if they've had time out of work or it can be difficult for people to find housing or people to I don't know find a relationship if people are very judgmental if they just disclose obviously not all people are judgmental or stigmatizing there's kind of the other side of the coin where people can be so welcoming and accepting and that's been your positive experience when you've gone on your walk and you know I think what you say about once you open up to people quite often people relate back yeah and that's really what my blog has been all about and you know every week I probably have conversation with somebody right. and then it's they right. say oh my this happened to my mum or my sister or myself and you know I've been thinking so much recently about kind of like the pros and cons of honesty yeah and for me yeah being honest and being open has been the right thing because it has led to so many connections for me and so much more kind of ability to I guess relate to people and be less lonely I know that I've been in quite a position of privilege and I've had quite a lot of positive experience with being open not all of them no some of them have been quite horrible um but for me being open has been the right thing to do because it has enabled me to be so much closer to so many people and I have to say you know just speaking about it with people can really make my day meaningful and sure. it's it's kind of a ripple effect when people are open you know yeah, if if, yeah. if you're in a position to be open then I think go for it if you're kind of able to because the ripple effect how it makes somebody else open which makes somebody else open yeah, and that kind yeah. of like reaction of people being open because it can make people a lot more comfortable and I yeah, think about yeah. people who've been open with me who I don't think have been open with others simply because they've seen my openness and they feel more able to be vulnerable to me because they think that I'm not going to judge them and quite often I say to myself like how could I judge somebody sure. else after I've been judged in my life and that's not to say I'm like a perfect person and I don't no. make snap. But I suppose people
0: will see that you've already been there, there's a path you've already walked. And, and that, that gives you, I don't know, some credibility in their eyes as, as, as a good person and a non-judgmental person to talk with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even though everybody's experience is so different, I think when you have felt so, I guess, frightened or confused or vulnerable or let down or disconnected, which so many people with mental health problems have, yeah. unfortunately, felt. You know, when other people see that, they feel able to say that back to you.
0: Yeah, you you talked about work, uh, employment there. Um, now, I've I've had um, in, in my own experience uh, a variety of responses to mental ill health. My my mental ill health. Um, I was wondering if if you could say about your 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 own experience have you been able to be upfront in in the interview and say i have this mental health problem
1: that's such a good question and something that i've spent so many hours days weeks months years like deliberating and debating over and it's been really big internal conflict for me um in my current workplace i have told like my managers and i have had a really positive response um, really supportive, caring response, and as a result, I feel so much more comfortable in the workplace. Right. I right. feel more like myself, whereas I feel in the past when I've hidden things, it it made me feel like an imposter or, sure. or like a sure. fraud or something. It just didn't sit well with me, and I felt uncomfortable not not sharing that. But in the past, I felt so scared of judgment, of being seen as somebody incompetent or seen as somebody who's not fit for the work that I do.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's absolutely terrifying. And I think I'm only really now at the point where I'm not that scared anymore, yeah, you know, yeah. about people finding out. Um, I've got a book coming out, so I can't really hide it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, in the past, I was just, so scared of anybody knowing yeah. about my diagnosis of BPD. I, I didn't tell my employers, no, I didn't, because I just I was just, just terrified of losing my job.
0: What do you think their fears would have been if they'd found out you had a mental health problem? And also, what were your fears of, of them knowing?
1: My fear was that they would believe in the stereotypes sure. associated with my diagnosis, which is BPD borderline personality disorder and I was scared that they'd google it having not maybe heard about it before or known about it and then through google they would jump to conclusions about the kind of person that I am i.e dangerous or attention-seeking dramatic too much trouble manipulative a liar untrustworthy incapable unstable and I'm a teacher and I work with children so (laughs) it's like all of the things that you don't need to be when working with children the internet was saying that I am and I've never been those things yeah yeah. that's just not me and I was just so horrified by the thought of my employer knowing my diagnosis googling it and then seeing the stigma online or in books and just judging me based on that and that probably wouldn't have happened because hopefully my reputation precedes some lies on the internet but when you're young especially and when you are in a very vulnerable position in your life and you are very scared then it, it's it's too much of a risk like in the past it was just too much of a risk to disclose because I couldn't I couldn't deal with the consequences if the worst were to happen the only time when I disclosed like recently
0: yeah
1: is because I felt strong enough in my position in life and mentally to, to do that should the negative repercussions happen and it took me a long time to get there and I feel very privileged that I've been able to take that risk and the risk paid off and also because I'm older now I feel that I'm you know I've I've seen positive responses and negative responses and just simply through trial and error I've i Feel I'm quite a good gauge now of 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 who's going to respond kindly and sensitively and in an educated manner and sure. who is not. Right. And through through that trial of trial and error, it enables me to take a more measured risk. Right, I feel.
0: Right. Can we take you back in your journey? Um, I mean, the question I I often ask people, um, you know, with with a mental health. Illness label is, mm. uh, is is not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. Does that that question apply to you? Do you think?
1: Um, yes, I think so, definitely. Um, I've heard this this quote before, and I, I really like it because yeah. so often people just think about mental health problems or mental illnesses and think, oh so-and-so chemical in the brain yeah take this pill and all will be fine and i'm not saying that chemicals in the brain don't have anything to do with it i'm sure they play a part but fact is a person's life and what they've been through can play such a huge role in how they feel um you know i i I was a very sensitive child, you know I was very emotional. I think just being emotional and being sensitive is part of who I am um and i'm I'm at the place now where I'm very happy with that because without that i wouldn't I wouldn't honestly be the person that I am. I wouldn't do the job sure. I do, I wouldn't have the interest that I have. I wouldn't spend my time doing the things that I enjoy if I weren't this expressive emotional person who felt a lot yeah yeah but I guess the problem happens is when you know you don't know how to deal with that we don't learn properly how to deal with that and your emotions get so out of control and your feelings about yourself get so out of control and um, I guess for me it's just shame takes over and disgust takes over and yeah, yeah. Self-hatred, fear, chaos takes over internally and then not having the resources to cope with that as a young person made life very, very difficult for me.
0: It's, um, it's interesting you you talk about being emotional because we, we are emotional beings and uh, I think one of the big problems about having emotions is, is living in the UK that we, we don't <laughs> seem to like emotions yeah, or too many emotions. <laughs> yeah. Don't be too happy. Don't be too sad. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't be too angry. Um, yeah. I, I certainly experienced that when I was growing up. Um, I, I, I'll call it sort of toxic max, masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember a, a, a scenario which really sort of summed it up beautifully. Um, my brother was killing ants in my oldest brother's garden so my brother who was killing ants was about 12. I I was 11 and my oldest brother was probably about 27 so we were at his house so my brother's killing ants with a hammer so I walked up behind my brother uh, being an idiot younger brother and said John what do you do and he accidentally smacked me in the face with a claw hammer so I Mm -hmm. fell to the ground holding my face crying my oldest brother came into the garden and shouted, don't be such a baby. And I'm thinking, in retrospect, I was hit in the face with a hammer. <laughs> you know, the, the, the normal response is is to cry. So yeah. do you have sort of situations, you know, memories where your emotions were perhaps invalidated?
1: Okay. Um... I can share us i can share a, a story similar to your aunt's story though yeah um i remember when i was about i don't know like eight or nine years old and i went to a zoo and i could see this orangutan in the cage in the cage yeah. there and um, I remember all the people around me, like enjoying seeing that beautiful orangutan in the cage, and just thinking, you know, wow, isn't it an amazing creature? And I just couldn't stop crying because I felt so sorry for the orangutan in the cage, and I just kept thinking, you know, poor thing, it should be in the wild. Why is it in Borneo? Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: it should be in Borneo, swinging around the trees, and I my my kind of fun day out to the zoo was not a fun day out of the zoo it was just me crying my eyes out with sorrow for this animal yeah and you know it it did make me feel like an outsider because i couldn't see anyone else crying about the orangutan
0: yeah
1: everyone else was you know enjoying the ice cream and you know looking at the cute animals
0: and you're thinking I'm i'm being dragged around a concentration camp
1: yeah, I felt I just felt so distressed by seeing yeah. an animal in a cage, and I've I've really enjoyed going to a zoo since then.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm haunted by the uh, polar bear in Edinburgh Zoo. Yeah, you know, just watching it pace up and down, thinking you mm. shouldn't be here.
1: You mm. know, Especially when the climate's just completely wrong. Oh, the well, polar bear should be in the snow.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we I've, I've been looking at your um uh Twitter page and uh your 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 Twitter handle is talking about BPD and yeah. <laughs> it, it's about living with the experience of BPD Do you is that right mm-hmm. do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah so talking about BPD is just really this small corner of the internet where I decided to talk about my experience because at the time when I was diagnosed around seven years ago I didn't have anyone that I could talk freely to about it and I was incredibly lonely so that's why I just took to the internet like lots of other lonely people I guess Uh Um, but it was just a really helpful way for me to express myself and also see that I wasn't alone, because as soon as I started talking about my experiences, others started talking back,
0: Yeah, yeah. and I
1: could really see this community feeling, and I, it, in a way, it echoes what you're saying about you walking around the UK and talking to people, because people do talk back, and yeah, that ripple yeah. effect. And I also was desperate for resources. I was desperate to learn, because unfortunately, I wasn't getting the support I needed through the official channels, through right. the NHS, or through... Like, I was getting some generic support, but it just wasn't tailored to my needs. And sometimes it just left me feeling even worse. It left me feeling more misunderstood. And also, I was incredibly angry. I was incredibly angry with the discourse around BPD and all the stereotypes that I was hearing. And I was just... I was initially just shocked out of my mind. And I was just disturbed by what I was reading. And I just knew that I had to say something different to what I was reading. And it was just incredibly difficult to find any blogs about BPD that were nice, that were not, oh, my, you know, horrible ex-girlfriend blog about why she's the worst girlfriend in the world and she has BPD and just some horrible, horrible imagery. I mean, I recently was um, looking at... not recently, I've been looking for ages. But I was recently looking again at book covers about BPD, and
0: I saw them. So
1: many of them are just the colours are just so like red for blood and yeah. like barbed wire and prison imagery, smashed glass, people with two heads.
0: You yeah, know, it's this like
1: yeah. quote unquote split personality trope as well, or this monstrous like idea that people with BPD are somehow monsters who can just ruin your life and. I, I just knew that I had to say something different because I just didn't relate
0: and I had nobody
1: I could relate to and the information I was reading just it was either all very generic like very generic kind of fact sheets that just didn't resonate with me or it was just people with BPD are horrible people and I just it was just so upsetting basically and I just I just decided to write something so you
0: you got the diagnosis from a, a psychiatrist, I'm guessing.
1: Mhm. Yes, that's right.
0: And they said nothing we could do. Bye, Cheerio. Enjoy your life. Or what? What happened after that?
1: And <laughs> um, well, it took me quite a long time to see a psychiatrist for the diagnosis yeah. because I was taken off the waiting list without even being told that I was taken off the waiting list. <laughs>
0: I'm laughing because Uh, because because it's it's, it's happened to me and so many people I know. It's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Mm. And
1: they didn't even bother to tell me. Um, And so it was only after I'd inquired a few times, like, how long is it going to be for the appointment? And they were like, oh, when the crisis team came to see you, they took you off the list. Like, but why just because the crisis team saw me for 20 minutes and asked me five questions and realized that I didn't need a further risk assessment but I was taken off a uh, uh, taken off a psychiatrist's waiting list and luckily I got put back on through my university because I was in touch with the support services in my university and I had this like mental health advisor who was a mental health nurse and she had like a connection in the uni who came to the like university support services like once every three months or something and managed to see me because I've been waiting for like probably a year by this point anyway so I was incredibly lucky but when I saw this psychiatrist I'd never met her before she spent I guess an hour and a half with me and she did the whole questions and tell me about your life yeah yeah and I gave as full answers as I could and then at the end she was like So yeah, I agree with your GP. I agree with your therapist. I do think you have BPD diagnosis. And she was like, but I'm not going to record this officially in your medical notes. Basically, because it's better if people don't know you have this diagnosis. So I was like, I was like 22, 23 or 24 years old or something. And I was like, wait, what? What? I was like, somebody with i don't know 10 years of medical degree or probably more yeah like she was probably about 50 or 60 yeah has just told me that i officially meet the criteria for a diagnosis which which is kind of what i'd been pursuing because i'd previously been diagnosed with like depression anxiety eating disorders blah 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 and nothing really seemed to be like working for me or nothing really fitted for me like i still felt completely no none the wiser yeah, so I was kind of yeah. doing a diagnosis at this point just simply because I thought well if I know what this kind of could be described as then maybe it will give me like some clear indication of what the treatment should be but then it was just so confusing when she told me like I'm not going to record this because it, it immediately it was like she put some like duct tape over my mouth and just yeah, yeah. told me to like shut up yeah, and I and I just clammed up. And I was not only was I scared because I'd been given this, well, given so that's not given this diagnosis, or I'd been told that I could have this, like that I officially met this, but it wasn't going to go on my like notes. So I was I was really confused, and I just didn't know what to do. Like I didn't get any follow up. I didn't get any treatment well, from well, that. Well, no, if she said there's of, nothing like, wrong given with you. Stable.
0: I mean, she said that, I mean, God knows what she wrote down. You know, if so she didn't write down BPD, what'd she say? You had a heavy cold.
1: Well, my medical notes got lost after that, so I'm not kidding you.
0: <laughs> this, it's, it's like it's like some bizarre comedy.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't want any listeners here to think that I wasn't officially diagnosed with BPD because yeah. she told me I have it. And also later... Uh, a few years later, I was in a crisis again, and I'd moved house, and I got re- like I got diagnosed, and it was written down. So uh, it, it happened like again. So I got it corroborated like two, three times. So, I think what I, you've told me
0: true. completely validates that there'll be nobody putting a question mark over your your diagnosis because this is the mess that we we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And that's why you yeah. didn't get any treatment because, well, you're kinda, you're kinda ha- you kind of, you kind of, you've got it. But, I, I, it's that acceptance of the stigma because that, that's probably what she was talking about or, or he was talking about. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and instead of saying we're going to do something about the stigma, basically we're, we're going to keep you secret uh, because yeah, that
1: was exactly it. Mm-hmm. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I
1: paid the price for that. I paid the price she, for that. She was trying to protect me. I have no doubts. I think what that doctor saw was like a young woman about to graduate university. Somebody who had, has been in distress or was in distress. But also somebody who shouldn't be, I guess, like blighted by a diagnosis right but in my opinion that is completely unacceptable because what happened to me was i clammed up so badly i was so scared of anybody knowing that i hid that experience from other professionals so for the following few years i didn't tell like any new therapist or any new doctor gp i didn't tell them because i thought that they were going to use it against me so because she told me it's better if it doesn't go in your medical notes I kept it as a secret
0: Rosie that's awesome. and I
1: and I know that other people might say to me that I was the one being like fake or a liar no but I was just simply trying to navigate a system and after I'd gotten that advice from a psychiatrist I was like well I should better believe that
0: it wasn't you being a fake or a liar you're 22 and somebody said that if if you dare speak the words Voldemort you 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 somebody will turn to stone
1: yeah oh that's kind of was it that's
0: desperate so and I'm
1: sure other people have had that experience as well it can't be just me
0: yeah yeah um I mean I was a social worker for about 20 years and uh you know, I I I know the stigma and the prejudice that exists around uh the the, mm-hmm. the diagnosis and it and so much of it is built through ignorance and mm-hmm. a feeling of helplessness amongst professionals who mm-hmm. don't undertake the training to work with people with the diagnosis. So instead of internalizing the problem and saying actually this is a deficit in my training they stick it on the person with the condition the the person who is is labeled as manipulative as a liar as attention seeking i mean if you've been on a waiting list for i don't know however many years people are on waiting lists i mean i've been on a waiting list now for two years and you know there's still no end in sight um of course you're going to be attention seeking you know you're going to be saying exactly when am I going to get some treatment that'd be really nice thanks
1: exactly it's completely normal it's completely normal to push and advocate for yourself it's completely normal and you need to be doing it and if, if you can't do it then I hope that people have somebody who could yeah, do it for them because yeah. it's extremely difficult to get care and you know people who are labeled as attention-seeking they are seeking connection and help and that is completely normal and that's a good thing yeah that is a good thing you wouldn't expect somebody who's drowning to not be waving would you or screaming you know you
0: you would (laughs) i mean the, the, the psychiatrist response to that would be i can't believe that person out at sea is making all that noise unbelievable
1: um i mean I, I know some very very good psychiatrists as well yeah yeah like who are very empathetic and too, very caring too. very understanding and have been you know utterly amazing yeah but then i know some who have just been completely i don't know like i had one doctor um who was i think she was either a trainee psychiatrist or she was um like a specialist doctor in in psychiatry like yeah I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to pretend I know all the details okay. of people's kind of ranks, rank, in the medical profession. Yeah. But basically, um, as we finished the consultation, which was about really difficult feelings and like self harm and stuff like that, and then she said, "Don't do anything silly." As I walked out of the room,
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, I would have been te- how
1: is that <laughs> okay?
0: I would have been tempted to do a funny walk after that. <laughs> I would don't do anything silly.
1: What she meant was like, don't hurt yourself.
0: What she meant was, was don't don't upset me, is what she was saying.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Because I'd
0: feel really bad if you hurt yourself, is what she was saying.
1: Or like, maybe she was saying, don't show others that I can't do my job properly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... Because uh, she
1: honestly had no idea. And she asked really close questions like, do you have a boyfriend? And I just find that really inappropriate because first of all, I might I might not be straight. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And I, I think I did have a boyfriend. But that wasn't the point to me. Like yeah. it was just first of all, what's that got to do with what's that got to do with it anyway? She could have asked me a question like who do you have in your life who's yeah, important to you? Yeah. Or like, do you have any people close to you? I don't know. It could just be really i just don't think it's that sensitive personally. there's this I'm kind sure be of people listening who think yeah, i'm being an absolute snowflake but language doesn't matter it
0: certainly people. does it, it's it, it's this kind of i don't know generic belief that people with borderline personality disorder are bad at relationships i i've i've got a wife who regularly says to me chris you're not bad at relationships and, but, but you, you internalize it. this becomes part of you you believe you are bad at relationships. And what they're failing to, to, to recognize is that um, the, the people who have the label have some symptoms that can make relationships a, a tricky at times. Mm-hmm. but but that's a bit like saying somebody who has cancer, and the doctor saying, "Well, they have problem with pain." No, no, the problem's cancer. You know, the, it, it, you know, we 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 have these these symptoms, and and they can make things tricky. And if we don't get support with them, so so you waited for two years, and of uh, a horrible feeling that you you have what you you got some kind of generic treatment. You were saying. Um.
1: Well, from that, no, I got nothing. No treatment. Nothing. Nothing. I just Through the university. Um, I think I was already on it. Right. Well, I was definitely already on something. Yeah. Yeah, I was on it. I, I, I think I was leaving university, so they kind of just threw me out the door. That was it. Gosh. But you, you kind of expect at least a follow-up appointment to ask questions, but... Because it was through the university and it was all a bit disconnected, I kind of just didn't get anything. And then I moved I moved away, university finished, and then I was still really struggling but because i thought i shouldn't tell gps because it wasn't on my record whenever i made gp appointments i didn't tell them so i kind of just struggled through for a couple more years by myself um and then after that i had more kind of serious crises and that put me back in touch with mental health services again
0: right
1: and then i got really good care actually i got really good care
0: so I mean are you able to talk about these crises and what, what sort of, I don't know, jolted them into mm-hmm. action?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I guess, I guess uh, so they happen for so, so many different reasons and at so many different times, but thinking about like the crises just before I got the help that I needed. Yeah. I just felt completely unable to cope with my emotions and I just felt so full of self loathing for not being able to manage my emotions and I think I was just very very lonely as well and I had no I just didn't know what to do with my emotions I just easily got very very distressed and i just felt very suicidal so one moment i'd be fine i'd be laughing with my friends i'd be having a good time then i'd leave my friends and go home and i'd start replaying conversations in my mind and i'd be thinking did i say something to upset somebody or does somebody not like me anymore or is somebody thinking badly of me and in response to my relationships i guess I would start worrying immensely and I would feel really worthless. Yeah. And when I felt worthless, I would just I guess want to die or want to hurt myself. Sure, and sure. that just I just got really distressed now. I'd have horrible panic attacks on the floor. I didn't really call them panic attacks at the time. I just called them I guess like episodes where yeah, I just cried yeah. so much on the floor. And I just, I thought I was gonna die. I wanted to die at the yeah, time because yeah. I was just in so much agony. You
0: just wanted to Emotional
1: stop. agony. Yeah. And it just kept going on and on for days. Every evening it would happen. And the next day I'd get up and I'd go to work and I'd do my job and I'd get close for my job. And- How did you do and that? It just, I don't know. Yeah. Like, honestly, I don't know because even today, my b p d is just so much better. I manage so well. Yeah, you know yeah. it's rare that I have these sort of emotional panic attacks. It's very rare nowadays, but even now i I do realize that I am very resilient because it took a lot when I was younger to get up and go out and do the things that I did because behind closed doors I was completely I was completely devastated, you know
0: and And these friends that you you'd left, and imagine you left them you, you everybody was fine. See you later, we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm. Did they have any inkling of, of what was going on for you at the time?
1: um the friends that I lived with did because I couldn't hide no. the fact that my eyes were really red, and sometimes they could hear me, and I do feel really guilty for that. The friends who I didn't live with. Mm-hmm probably not no No. I I would have told them you know um I've been through a difficult time lately or you know after a while they did know about my diagnosis and stuff but when it was kind of live and happening um no not really which is why it was hard for me when I did tell people that somehow I did feel at times like people wanted me to be a Quiet, and that was really difficult because there were so many times that I didn't reach out to people. You know, maybe one in a thousand times of me having a panic attack and an emotional breakdown, yeah. I would have reached out to a friend. And yeah, I, I, I don't know, it's a bit too difficult for me to talk about, but, but now, na- like nowadays nowadays i'm you know i'm i don't know life is different now because i know i understand and i know how to cope and i have very good people around me who know how to help me sure you know and like you were saying about um your wife telling you that you're you know you're good at relationships you know i have my partner and he's so understanding and we have a very strong relationship and that has helped me to no end because there was a time when i thought that i was just completely disgusting as a person yeah. and nobody would ever 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 in a million years want to be with me and i just thought that the future really had not no hope for me in that respect and
0: and thrown into that you know, you you, you you're, from what you're saying it sounds like you you're riddled with guilt and shame throughout not only were you experiencing yeah. that horrible stuff, you felt guilty and, and full of shame for it. That yeah, like and massively difficult. embarrassed. Yeah, yeah.
1: Massively yeah. embarrassed. Um embarrassed because it looked like a disconnect between like the different parts of me because yeah. on one level I was functioning so well, you know, and I did have so much going on in my life. But then on another level Everything was just in such disarray. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it used to upset me so much when people told me that I'm unhappy or that I'm not happy with my life. Because for me, it was never, ever, ever about that. It was always just about different emotions that came over me, especially shame, especially guilt, especially sadness that I didn't know how to cope with. Because I would say that even... Throughout that, those times, I still sure. had so much happiness. When I was happy, I was really happy.
0: It wasn't yeah. that my
1: life was just... Yeah, I, yeah exactly. You know exactly what I mean. Yeah. I do, I do. And yeah. Yeah, it was all genuine. My yeah. feeling of happiness in the moment was genuine.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I d- I, I'm a bad actress. So <laughs> that's the hard part because people just saw what they saw and thought how could she possibly be having difficulties and when i was a child at school i did show signs of difficulties and this was the 1990s 2000s and teachers were about as adept at spotting mental health problems as they were like launching a rocket into space i guess like they just
0: yeah not my (laughs) job not my job mate uh yes don't you think i've got enough to do i know
1: they just didn't get it and they just even if they did get it they wouldn't be looking for a child like me no. I was very very hard working diligent
0: yeah
1: cheerful you know
0: you you, you didn't take any of the sort of um crazy boxes
1: I didn't take any of the boxes that worried them not at all gosh I don't think so, maybe maybe I'm proven wrong but I don't know. Probably in secondary it was a bit more obvious. Because yeah, yeah. Maybe my perfectionism was coming through and some of the more emotionally astute teachers may have noticed that. But when I was younger, no. I,
0: I think it. I think um also you know regarding diagnosis of any any mental health problem um for a long time uh psychiatry has been reluctant to stick labels on people. Uh mm-hmm now with the upcoming icd-11 i'm sure you can't wait for that um
1: i can't wait for that because be like looking at a new menu for my favorite restaurant <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> yes we, we're going to have uh, children being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder do you have any yeah. any thoughts on mm. that well
1: children how young I'm not so I, I think uh,
0: fifteen, uh, I, I, but, but, but I mean that—that's a I figure that jumps into my head. But I think it's probably younger as well.
1: I mean, I think probably they should wait. Probably, yeah. I don't want this to become like a self-fulfilling yeah prophecy. I mean, I guess if if we were living in this ideal world where people with diagnoses were treated with utmost respect, yeah, and regardless yeah, of your diagnosis, I mean. you were treated just like a human being the same as anybody else and diagnosis was not you know the extent of a person and professionals really tried to get to know the whole person and I'd be like yeah fine sure I see no problem but fact is we're living in this world where people do make very quick snap judgments about diagnoses BPD being probably one of the ones that people make the quickest and most kind of inaccurate judgment then no I don't want kids to go through that I don't want teenagers to no, go through that no. especially given what we know about BPD and there's such a strong correlation between difficult life experiences trauma and this people who get this diagnosis and I am aware that as I'm talking there might be people listening who think shut up Rosie you're you want a diagnosis I'm desperate to get rid of mine because I know there are plenty of people who yeah absolutely yeah like, vehemently want to get rid of this diagnosis because they just think it's a nonsense and they think it's unethical. Well, I personally don't think this diagnosis is unethical. For me, I think it's okay. But I think the way people get treated is unethical. And I've looked into the research on perceptions and, you know, for example, mental health nurses in psychiatric hospitals treating two people showing exactly the same signs of, or showing exactly the same behaviours or behaving in the yeah, same way.
0: Yeah.
1: One's got a diagnosis of depression and one's got a diagnosis of BPD and the person with depression is seen as, oh, I'm going to help you, let me let me listen to you, let me care for you, let me understand you. And the person with diagnosis, uh, BPD diagnosis is seen as like, you're so cunning, you're this cunning. tricksy person yeah, who's like, yeah. Who's like cunning and they're too almost like too clever for their own good, that they're contriving, yeah, contriving yeah. affection from a from a caregiver. And it's and it because it's this like seen as a like a person a thing with your personality, it's somehow yeah. seen as like something that people can control, as if they can turn a switch on and off. And maybe that's because the moods are so quick to change, but it looks contrived. Yeah. It might look contrived. I mean, you'd have to be an extremely good actress or an actor for that because i don't know how you'd act that personally. it's funny I, but... I
0: recently spoke to a guy who is an actor and uh, he you know i i was saying you know uh, i spent a lot of time being a lot of different people because that's what i believed people needed from me and uh mm-hmm. and he spends a lot of time being lots of different people and getting paid for it so it's it's, mm-hmm. it's quite a a a, a different world so do, do you think the, the the label borderline personality disorder is the damaging thing or is part of the damaging thing and do you think uh if we could remarket it if we if we could call it something else do you think that that might help
1: in terms of the actual diagnosis and the kind of categorization of it it works for me right <laughs> i'm not saying it works for everyone sure. but for me it pretty good and right. i'm pretty okay with it okay. however the name i think the name is absolutely awful i think the name is a big part of the problem because borderline to me it sounds like something out of spider-man or something uh, uh, i don't know it just yes. sounds something a bit creepy yeah. oh borderline like like you were saying about the edges of the uk being yeah. this like, yeah. like edgy space i feel like borderline has this creepy feel to it you know, like Borderlands or like yeah, Borderlands. Yeah,
0: yeah. you're yeah, a... this
1: kind of spooky feel. Um, that spooky kind of monstery feel is what I want to move away from because it doesn't exactly elicit compassion from people, I don't think. I mean, that's, so the name is part of it. Secondly, personality disorder. I mean, whoever came up with that name? No, just no, absolute no for me. I I get it, I get it. As far as I know, personality—it's your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, like your traits, and your kind of like your how you relate to others and how others relate. Blah blah blah. I get that's personality, like in a psychology textbook. Okay, I haven't given a very good definition, but personality perfectly fine. But but in kind of like common speak like in everyday language personality is someone's character and it's very like important to them so when general people hear personality disorder they think it's something to do with your character or who you are yes and I think that's extremely disconcerting as a person with that diagnosis because for years and years and years and years and years I could not say those words out loud without wanting to grow up because it was just so yeah horrible to me to have those words and i it's taken me so many years to be able to say it and now i'm absolutely fine saying it but it took me a long time because it just felt so shameful and disgusting
0: took me longer time. yeah it's it's it's, a, it's an incredible thing that sort of yeah it, it feels and 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 it and it sounds like it started with your psychiatrist saying this is our little secret <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we we'll what? not talk about this anymore so, yeah. you you like, a wink.
1: like I'm giving you this knowledge. Secret yeah, wink. Yes, on, you now. could
0: be part of this gang. But <laughs>
1: um,
0: I, I remember, <laughs> I remember when I was told. Uh, I obviously looked it up in every book I could possibly find. Even though I had a degree mm-hmm. in psychology, I, I felt like I, I still needed I, I needed more knowledge. And I found this group of people who were meeting up in Edinburgh, which where I was living at the time, uh, uh, with the label and i thought i'm going to meet up with them that sounds like a a a good thing you know to get some validation or or something Uh, so i told my psychiatrist that this is what i was going to do and she said no you you mustn't meet up with these people these are very sick people
1: oh "Ah!" (laughs) Oh, that's a horrible thing to say i can so believe it though Um. I mean, And actually, that probably could have been the best thing you were doing at the time. Like, people you could relate to, like, was people who will understand, yeah. like, yeah.
0: You know, where, where you were getting validation from uh, social media, I, I was getting validation by meeting up with these people in a restaurant, well, actually, in a sort of cafe in Edinburgh, and there was a little sign on the table that said, the Meadows Book Group, so that nobody knew who we were, that mad people were walking amongst them. <laughs> So, I
1: love that so much I think that's just the best, like that is just exactly what it's all about in my opinion yeah just, yeah like getting to know others learning from others yeah. that kind of knowledge is just priceless
0: and realizing that these are the people
1: they were all so lovely they Sorry, they were they were, all, so they were,
0: they were yeah. all of them each and every one of them were were, were lovely and it was it you know I've, I've you know I've, I've got a friend from that group who who's Who's, who's still a friend now, and she's uh, she's fabulous, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we keep in touch. Uh, so...
1: Mm-hmm. The best people have BPD, in my opinion. I think like, so, yeah. The
0: best people. So, you <laughs> Not am biased. If you reframe it into some kind of superpower, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're a pretty cool bunch. <laughs> um, so did you ever get treatments then that... that, 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 mm-hmm. that you know, like D B T or mentalisation based therapy, um, that kind of malarkey.
1: Yeah, I did, I did. So the second time round when I got diagnosed like by a doctor who a psychiatrist who actually put it up down on paper. Right. Yeah, I did. After that I joined the waiting list, believe it or not, um a couple of years I think. So you've been on a
0: waiting oh, I remember list. How long it was. Yeah. A waiting list to be assessed. So there's a waiting list for the waiting list
1: uh yeah there's a waiting list to be assessed and yeah. then when you've got assessed and you've got deemed you know this diagnosis then join another waiting list i had another therapist though i was lucky enough that i could have a private therapist sure, sure. well i don't think she knew that much about this or if she did she didn't say she did she she did um, it but
0: it wasn't it
1: wasn't yeah maybe she yeah although initially i had my diagnosis from her because i basically what happened was i contacted this organization because i wanted to get a therapist and i rang them and they did like a phone assessment with me and they were going to match me to a therapist and then at the end of the phone call the, the the woman doing the triage thing said to me so do you have a formal diagnosis and um i was like um yeah i have um C P D, and then she was like, "Oh, okay, so that's gonna be another like (sighs) half as much again." So I had to pay like one and a half times more for the session because of that diagnosis. So then I just, I was like, "Okay, I'll think about it," and I just hung up the phone. You know, ended the phone call, and then I was like, "Oh my god, I can't afford this one now because it was already expensive before, and now I have to go with the senior therapist." and also not only was it about the money i felt really like i'm so complicated and it just made me feel like oh i can't even contact a therapy organization and get therapy because i need like a special i need to pay like a special price to go into like the severe tier of therapy and yeah. i and yeah. i get that a therapist has to be like specially trained in dpd to make it safe for me and make it effective for me but at the time it just felt i just felt so useless so I think what I did was later after some time had passed I ran back again but I didn't tell them I had that diagnosis (laughs) yeah hello my
0: name's (laughs) Stephen
1: I probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast because it might make me look really bad this is making you look bad this is
0: services that are bad okay
1: yeah I was really desperate and I was really like I was really in need of help. Yeah, I told them I didn't have a diagnosis, and then I got to see a therapist for the like the price that was advertised on the website that I could afford. As... And then I didn't tell her I had the diagnosis because I was so like, scared. I only told her like later on that I had the diagnosis. Which was right. Absolutely fun about it, but I didn't get the help I need, like the official help I needed. No. which... Sure, some people listening could say it's my own fault, but I just didn't know what else to do. Anyway, when I got diagnosed again and it went officially in my NHS records, then I could a- I finally access the DBT, and through my NHS like local mental health services, and it was that that finally just sorted out my life. Like so, that was just
0: so it really helped you.
1: Yeah.
0: So was it all DBT because? The, the the a lot of, I've heard a lot of people being given DBT but it's something that's called DBT and they say yeah right. we, we do most of it but we don't do the we, we're not accessible by phone in the evenings did
1: yeah, no, I, I did the proper one the the really good one the so there was a solid Fantastic. Services. I and I and the therapist she was just incredible I just I just adore her like she was just. She treated me like an equal, she was knowledgeable, she taught, like, she was more like a teacher, she just taught me how to manage, she understood, and she got me doing things that I just never thought that I would be able to do, and yeah, I'm eternally grateful to her and that team, because that was a well-run DBT team, doing DBT properly. Um, I find that
0: absolutely thrilling, I find that really exciting, because services are so sketchy and and db you know
1: yeah
0: and things that are called dpt aren't and but that's that's great yeah. to hear so how long did that go yeah, on for I,
1: um that was around one and a half to two years i wow. think because because it was supposed to be like a year of sessions yeah. but i could try like train off to like once every two weeks yeah and then after that i could do like once a month yeah. and then once every two months so in terms of the fact it was probably about two years i think yeah. like at one point yeah. i had to stop one group and then join a bit later so they were very flexible accommodating because obviously with two years a lot can change in your life in a job it and things like that. Yeah, yeah. even now i have still i think five sessions left with my therapist because when you officially finish yeah you have six more sessions that you can use at any time and i still have her number i can still call her how and lo- it's official. It's not, it's not like a breaking the rules thing. Yeah. It's an official part of it. How lovely is that? It's amazing. It's, it and sounds stunning. It was. Yeah. It was. I mean, it should be available to anybody who wants and needs it. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: In the UK. But I know it's a postcode lottery. And uh, in my mind, it took me 10 years to get there. And you can see how many hoops I had to jump through and how yeah, many yeah. like inadequacies I I had to deal with. And there were times when I just didn't have... Any support, and then finally, I got, I got what I needed. Finally, Thank wow. Goodness. Do
0: you know you just telling me that? I feel like there's a weight off my shoulders. I feel, like,
1: oh, that's.
0: So it was like a sort of happy end to a story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people are learning DBT through the internet, yeah. and online, and things like that, and I think it's helpful. But nothing can be a replacement for that person in front of you who is
0: it's that relationship isn't it you know with uh, yeah. with somebody I don't know somebody you trust and somebody who trusts you is, is yeah. it's fantastic so how long long ago was that when did that, did that finish for you um, I think it
1: was about a year ago
0: right I can't quite remember now oh, some launch pad that's great mm-hmm. and so um, the, the so talking about BPD online and on social media, that must have been having that validation, I'm guessing, must have made it a whole lot easier for you to to talk about it. And
1: yeah. I, yeah. I, I often think that blogging and writing on social media and doing videos and things like that, it was my practice for talking yeah. in real life. Because initially I was having experiences that I just didn't have the language for. Yeah. Like you were saying... You don't learn this in school. Well, nowadays, you do a tiny bit. Right. Schools are a lot better now, at least. Well, I would say that. I'm a teacher, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'm doing the right thing. But, <laughs> you know, I didn't have any... I I couldn't. I didn't know how to how to talk about it. Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. not only
1: did I not know who to talk about it with, I didn't feel like I had any right to those words. And it took me a really long time to feel like I had ownership over my own experience to describe my own experience because especially so many people with BPD have gone through a lot of emotional invalidation. You know, like you were saying with your brother and people telling you stop crying, stop being so sensitive, don't be silly, things like that. You know, people with BPD have generally been through a lot of that. Yeah. And um, I can't remember where this is going now.
0: Uh, I, don't... I think we were talking <laughs> Oh, BPD <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we were talking about BPD Talking about BPD, that's what you're about
1: yeah. um, I guess You know, I just it, telling, telling somebody that, that Like invalidating some someone's emotions It kind of deprives them of Their experience and they yeah, don't feel yeah. like They own their own emotions Or they don't feel like their emotions are real And they kind of just feel Disconnected from it So through writing about it on the internet, I was trying to find the words that made sense for me and trying to feel okay with using those words. And yeah, it was yeah. really hard. It took me a long, long time, many years. And I've had to grow a lot of confidence. And even now I will define myself in a certain way or I will use a certain word to myself, apply it to myself and I will invalidate myself. And yeah. I'll think, no, 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 you can't say that. You can't say that. You know, because I'll think, oh, other people had it worse than you or other people yeah, have this have yeah. like that and I will invalidate myself. But I do know deep down that, you know, no matter what you've been through, if it hurt you and it affected you, yeah, then absolutely. it hurt you and it affected you yeah. and you wouldn't react in the way you react if you were not in pain.
0: Yeah, it's, it's trust, I think. It's trust in yourself and, and, and mm. yeah, 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 tr- yeah. Primarily trust in yourself so you 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 wrote your blog and you 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 got the mind media award
1: yeah that was a surprise
0: so where did that come from yeah. how how did that happen that sounds really exciting too
1: um I say it was a surprise but I did apply so I must have on some level <laughs> <wanted it. laughs> um yeah well in 2017 I applied and I got shortlisted yeah. um I didn't win but it was really cool like it's an amazing experience i was just so happy um then in 2019 i applied again Be- because in 2017 one of the judges had said to me like we really liked your blog um but we just think you should expand it a bit more you know okay. make it a bit more kind of professional i guess i, I she just complimented me she was like it's a really great blog but maybe just like, develop it a bit more. Yes. Maybe they just thought it needed a bit more work. So, it kind of made me think, okay, well,
0: keep, I'm going to keep go, doing go, it because yeah. I
1: enjoy doing it. But then I decided to reapply. And um, and then, to my shock, I won the award. Fantastic. Which was, yeah, really exciting because, and weird, you know, it had gone from something where I was completely anonymous at the beginning. Nobody in my life knew that I was doing a blog. Sure. And then... When I was nominated for the award in 2017, I decided to tell people about it because, well, first of all, I couldn't go to an award ceremony anonymously. I'd have had to like wear a bag on my head or something. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't go as an avatar; like I had to be physically you myself. Yeah, to be you. And I didn't yes. want to miss, yeah, and I didn't want to miss the award ceremony because I just I wanted to dress up and go. And I thought I guess I knew deep down that I should go
0: did. so you've gone from this psychiatrist saying it's our little secret to the mind media awards where you're going yeah here i am
1: this yeah, is my story
0: and
1: that, felt, that felt really really good i'm not gonna lie it felt so good to have previously been told to be quiet to then going on the stage getting the microphone and then just being like no i'm not being quiet superb and i'm not going to because I don't think it's right. And all along, I knew it wasn't right. And also, it just didn't make me happy and comfortable. And because I wasn't happy and comfortable with being silent, I guess I didn't really have much to lose at some stage.
0: Sure.
1: I kind of was like, well, maybe anything will be better than being silent. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm
1: quite a naturally chatty person, as it's probably apparent. No, 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 I didn't spot that at all. It's no. with me.
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) but but to have that validation must have been thrilling
1: it was it was it was a really exciting moment and yeah i'm very grateful um you know especially after yeah especially after just silence for many years yeah Yeah. and You know, I am just really grateful to all the people who have been so open with me on social media and who have encouraged and supported me and who have helped me understand my own life more and have helped me gain confidence because I've had so much support through social media, people swapping knowledge and people relating back to me and so much empathy on there. Um people often think of social media as this really critical terrible place yeah, and it can yeah. be it really can be but for me it has been just a momentous place you know I wouldn't have been able to find the words to talk in my personal life if yeah. I hadn't had people to practice with online you know right, and you've got that yeah and I was amazed and I still am amazed how many people relate to it and it resonates with people and that is just one of the best things in life to speak and other people listening and then you speak back to them and just have a conversation yeah yeah that's just one of the best things in life really you know humans are supposed to be connected to other people they're not supposed to live on a little i
0: think you're right yes I, I, i remember reading when i was doing my degree in psychology that the 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 our frontal cortex it, it, it's it's really mainly about communication it's 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 not about inventing iPhones and widgets and what's it it's about you know getting on with your your fellow people um and and you know i, I agree wholeheartedly it's about reaching out and 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 getting it back and it's it sounds like you're you've done that and and you you are still getting it back and it'd be rude not to mention your book <clears throat> uh, so so that's that's coming up in october this year
1: yeah it's coming out in october 21st of october yeah um yeah that's a bit surreal to me really but hopefully people will enjoy it it's kind of an extension of my blog in a way yeah. um it covers lots of similar topics um it's intended to help people who are newly diagnosed with bpd right not, not, not necessarily newly diagnosed but in my mind i have kind of those people who are maybe quite newly diagnosed and who are kind of struggling to know what to do with that i guess maybe because i was in that position yeah, myself. yeah um or it's just for people who have been diagnosed or who relate to the diagnosis or who know somebody with with bpd sure, sure. just to um something different to the other books yeah. that are out there. I know you've got your book, which yeah. I still need to read, and I could get quite
0: frankly, you do have to read it.
1: I definitely <laughs> do. I need to go online after this and order it because, yeah. part, partly though, I'm too scared at the moment to read it because having just written my own book, I'm going to read other people's books and then think, oh no, I have to change. No, no, no. no it's I okay.
0: My book, my mean. my book's shit. You yeah, know it. it. <laughs> <laughs> You're in no danger there at all.
1: <laughs> really interesting read, for sure. Especially because I'm sure I'm going to relate to it, and I want to hear about the conversations that you that you've had. So, yeah, I'm going to read it. I'm definitely going to read it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel bad
1: that I haven't read it. Well, I,
0: I, I mean, the whole thing about it is, I, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to. Be, I wanted it to make people laugh. I wanted it to make people cry as well. I wanted people to engage with it, and 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 thankfully, that that seems to be what's what's happened with it. So it sounds yeah, like you have got
1: loads of reviews on Amazon. I saw, I saw today that yeah. you have five loads of five star reviews. It's amazing. Of, of course, <laughs> and for this podcast, probably going to go down. Probably your rate's probably going to go down now with me. But you've got you've got really good ratings. No, it's you're amazing. A, you're a
0: star. No, it's 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 really brilliant having you on. But I was I was looking at the sort of uh, subheading of your your book, and it was a. A Stigma-Free Guide to Living a Calmer, Happier Life with Borderline Personality Disorder. And the, the word stigma-free leapt out at me. And I, what I wanted to ask you was, where is that stigma coming from in the main, would you say?
1: Where is borderline personality disorder stigma coming from? i got to say it's coming from mostly professionals i think
0: <laughs> i think i think you're right Rosie. you agree with me i do wholeheartedly yeah um yeah.
1: i think it's coming i think it originates a long long time ago i think it's origins go way way back to maybe the idea about hysterical women
0: yeah yeah Victorian
1: time. but yeah i don't i don't think the stigma is necessarily coming from just people who don't work in the medical or mental health profession i think it comes from a
0: profession. I think. I, th- I, I think you're you're right, and um, and uh, it, it's a stigma that seems to be validated. It's it seems to be okay to hold prejudice against a group of people, and if it was any other group of people, I think you know people would stamp on it immediately. But because it's us, yeah, you know, it it it's it's okay because we're. Were willfully mad and bad,
1: mm-hmm. and, that, and I know lots. Yeah. Um, I know lots of men are diagnosed with BPD, but I've read that seventy-five percent of people diagnosed are women. Probably yeah. because it's frequently diagnosed amongst women than men. But I think, you know, a lot a lot of men with mental health problems are not taken seriously. But I also think throughout history women's pain has been quite dismissed as well yes, and yes. dismissed as like silly and meaningless and yeah. just somebody yeah. being immature or overly it's, dramatic so yeah. probably the misogyny aspect as uh, well well i
0: think 75 percent of uh, psychiatrists are white male uh, sort of europeans and, and 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 i think that is reflected in in the in the diagnoses <clears throat> Uh, Interestingly, a a lot of the people, a lot of men who are diagnosed with BPD end up in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's shocking. I mean, one of the things that that jumped out for me in the media is that I don't know if you watch CSI or any programs like like that.
1: I'm not really big into like crime sort of thing. That's
0: good because it's usually me that did it. It's, it, it's the guy with BPD, it's definitely BPD. Yeah, it's BPD. And you think,
1: shit. It, yeah, it's used as a byword for criminal, isn't it? It is. I, I was researching in this just generally because I'm interested in how BPD is represented in popular culture. Yeah, and, yeah. Spoiler alert, it's not usually represented well. Um, but yeah, CSI and things like that. BPD is just synonymous with killer a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, um, There's this article um, in... A newspaper I can't remember the exact name of the person now um, who wrote it but she was doing a psychology course degree yeah. and um, throughout her whole degree BPD was mentioned once I think and it was in relation to a woman who'd killed her husband
0: <laughs> I mean that is just it, it's that just sums it up friend perfectly friend. doesn't it
1: yeah. It's just not okay that that would be your one representation in your psychology degree of people with BPD.
0: My, my recollection of my course was uh, BPD was a dustbin diagnosis,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whatever that meant. Um,
1: exactly. What does that mean? I mean, maybe in some levels it is because it's so difficult to get the care.
0: Yeah, yeah. How
1: is it? It just sounds so rude and so insulting, and it's just not yeah. going to make anyone feel good. And the other thing is, Sometimes people giving lectures forget who's in the room.
0: Yes. And that's something that yes. I
1: find like as a professional working like quite I deal with mental health quite a lot in my job. Like, yeah. I'm a special education yeah. teacher and um kind of mental health comes into a lot of my work. Yeah, I bet it and does. I I'm, work- I'm working in a really excellent school now. I have not, you know, no complaints, but I would say you know, in the past even now i guess sometimes i do feel like training courses just talk about people with emotional distress as if they couldn't possibly be in the room yeah and i'm just so sick of that
0: you just want to put your hand up and go yeah uh i think you're talking about me could you perhaps be a bit more respectful yeah it's one of the things that, that that does interest me and we're talking about children here is that when when we see children going through emotional distress and upset and abuse and neglect and all these other things, we're kind of all over them like a rash. You know, we we, we want to love our children. We want to care for our children. But Mm some of those children turn into adults and they've got residual problems from that childhood. Mm -hmm. We we seem to suddenly hate them (laughs) Or, or, (laughs) or, or, or not want to work with them or it,
1: it's oh, you mean children are cute and adults are not cute
0: i think that's pretty much what I'm... <laughs> i think that's what i've just said <laughs> yeah and so it is it's, it is kind of shocking i think um, it
1: is it, it's terrible i guess it's just people want something that's just so packaged up nicely you know i feel that with just mental health conditions in general yeah. some are seen as like marketable you know or yeah
0: yeah. You
1: know, we can make a tea bag for this, or like we can make a scented candle for this. It's hard to make scented candle for like someone who's screaming on the floor, yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean i I do feel like mental health is just some people want to know about it, but they only want to know about certain parts of it
0: yeah yeah they, they, they yeah the nice mental health problems where, where there isn't where people aren't manipulative and. Evil and all the things that we've been labelled with. I, I I don't know if you've um, come across the, the the high intensity network and the, the stuff that they've been doing with people who are uh, who who haven't had services and then who who try to phone crisis teams very often. Have mm-hmm. you have you heard much about that?
1: Um, I have to say at the moment I haven't managed to do enough research into it it's something that I want to research because I'm seeing a lot about it on social media and I'm not pooed up enough on it yeah but I think it sounds absolutely horrendous that people are getting um, yeah I guess seen as seen as um, wasting people's time or seen as using up resources and Seen as a hassle, and I just think it's unfairly blaming people who haven't got the help that they need. And if they'd had the proper support and they had everything they need needed, then they wouldn't call nine nine nine. Like people only call nine 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 because they need help. Like it shouldn't. People shouldn't be scared to call nine 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 either. I just I don't know enough about it to comment, but I just it doesn't sound good
0: yeah i mean I, I i was leading the witness a bit there but because i i had a friend who uh she she went to prison for um uh trespassing on a railway line because mm-hmm. she wanted to take her own life and okay. instead of throwing care and support at her they sent her to jail and absolutely and, horrible and, and this is the sort of thing that's going on and and you know we we need yeah voices like yours and and mine i guess it, we we need to keep that at the forefront of people's mind we we need care and support not punishment
1: absolutely i think it's absolutely horrible that anybody would be criminalized for their distress yeah like yeah. i just think it, it looks like the marker of an incredibly uncaring uncivilized society yeah yeah
0: it's, it's horrible it's, it's 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 truly shocking and it continues to be shocking yeah i I've got to say, when I, when I was uh, hearing about you and, and the fact that you, you, you work as a teacher, I found that really exciting because it kind of gave me hope because I bailed out of social work, let's think, about 14 years ago because I felt like I was unemployable and, uh, and it's, it's great to hear that you're, you're working and you're, you're making a great contribution to, to the lives of young, young people. Um, are, are any parts of that that, that are, are tricky for you and that do you we, we, regarding the workplace it, they, with people with disabilities there um, people uh, employers are supposed to make reasonable adjustments have they made reasonable adjustments for you
1: um I feel that in my current role I don't really need adjustments per se right now because of the role that I've got. Um, If I were a class teacher then I think I would definitely need adjustments because I find it quite overwhelming having 30 children around me making noise for six hours a day.
0: And you're not allowed a cattle prod.
1: (laughs) Not not these days. That's terrible. (laughs)
0: so that that would be too challenging having that sort of
1: yeah I just get quite overwhelmed with noise and like busyness. but because my job is kind of a blend of being at my desk problem solving things and doing kind of paperwork makes it sound like I'm just pen pushing but doing written work
0: yeah
1: as well as also working with parents working with children some direct teaching kind of supporting other staff supporting other adults helping other adults plan for children sure. with special needs so i have time where i can like take a moment of quiet sure. in front of a computer screen and i find that really helpful whereas if i'm around children for 6 hours a day then i can not and i can't physically even step out of the room to go to the toilet you know because i no, need to be there then it's hard, but I guess I feel like I'm in a good place in my life, and um, my work's something that I really love. I really enjoy my job. I'm just
0: that's great to hear.
1: Amazing job, but yeah, it can it can be difficult. I think just being a teacher is a difficult job. You yeah, have to yeah. you have to manage a lot of expectations and a lot of pressure, and you don't want to mess it up because it's children's lives. And it is. It's the futures. You don't want to yeah. make mistakes on that. yeah
0: no that's that's really lovely to hear and and, you know and i don't know i i like i say it's 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 given me hope so meanwhile back at the book um so it's coming out are you are you excited about that are you are you imagining imagining yourself doing a a book tour talking to eager minds as they
1: You know what I haven't thought that far ahead right now watch this space yeah. um I am a very excited I mean I am a bit nervous yeah um yeah I'm excited I just I guess I don't really know what to think at the moment right. I think I'll probably like hide in the cave for a little while when it comes out and just try to forget about it <laughs> just to see what happens you know I'm not I don't know if, if, it, if it helps people. Okay. If people like it and get something from it, I'll be happy.
0: Right. Yeah. And it, it, it sounds like. <laughs> it's gone it, quiet. It, it sounds a little bit like um, a BPD, a user's guide. You know, <laughs> what it's going to be like, you know, what to expect.
1: Yeah. So there are different chapters in there um, kind of covering what is BPD, how does it develop, what does it look like, how different um tools that I use to help manage it dbt based techniques that I use um different treatments that are available um things that you can do to kind of help yourself get to a calmer life or kind of help yourself to find kind of more like a stable more, more of a stable life yeah um I'm really not selling it very well at all um publishers are not going to be happy with
0: you <laughs> it will be fine and and you know the, anything you'd like me to share i will share you know, or,
1: oh thank or, you so uh, much it's been so lovely to chat with you i feel like you've really understood everything that i was saying about about services and see, i can I, just see from your face that you relate
0: <laughs> i love conversations like this because really we're sort of singing from the same hymn sheet we we understand that that particular world so i think what what what's the future now for you what what's what's next in your your plan to take over Um,
1: well uh, you know initially i thought that i'd write the book and then i would just be done with the blog yeah i really did but i'm enjoying writing my blog more than ever and i still need my blog and i still love my blog and i just don't think i will stop with that um I want to take the pressure off myself a little bit. You know, it has been a lot writing a book. Yeah. It has taken a lot of time, It's not just the writing, but it's all the planning, the editing, all the emails to the publisher, you know, even sorting out the contract. You know, it it has been quite all consuming, especially on top of a job, my teaching job.
0: A huge piece of work. So yes. I think
1: I'll have a little break um, from thinking about that. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah, I'm sure I'll, like cook up another project. <laughs> soon after that, I've absolutely loved writing the book. Brilliant. Um, it's been really fun and enjoyable. Um, it's really satisfying. So, yeah, I think I'll just try and chill.
0: Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> no, that sounds great. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you thought, God, I really wish you'd ask me this? Um, you know, occasionally I'll I'll miss the mark, but.
1: Uh... Um no you've asked some really like really interesting questions because you've totally understood what I've been through with the services and
0: yeah, the,
1: yeah. like promotions and things like that um yeah I mean I guess I just after everything I've said it, it just shows that there's such a mixed bag of care out there and yeah, it's just such yeah. a a mixture of professionals some who are completely understanding and yeah, who yeah. you know are anything but ignorant and then there are others who try to help but just get it so wrong yeah and then there are some that just don't try to help at all but yeah. like mostly people are trying to help but they just get it wrong um yeah i, I just want to add you know I, my experience of bpd it's just one person you know everyone their own experience and there's nothing in my book that says you know my experience is the only experience i just simply wanted to share my experience because we don't really hear enough voices with bpd you know thinking about all the people in the media who talk about depression eating disorders anxiety disorders, panic attacks bipolar you know these conditions and experiences are still very misunderstood but we are hearing a wider variety of voices but with bpd as well as things like schizophrenia schizoaffective disorder dissociative identity yeah. disorder we don't hear as much and i just want to hear more of these voices coming through in the next like four sure. or five years yeah yeah
0: yeah that will
1: really just make my year if i hear more people talking about the less talked about things and yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Okay, well, right. we can give people <laughs> prods and say oh, we talk about it, uh, but yeah, I think I guess that you know that that that, that stigma is still hanging over folk, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah, it is, and I would never blame anyone for not talking. I think in many cases it's very wise to not talk about it because it's not <laughs> yes. safe. It's not safe, it's, it's, and if yeah, you're not in yeah. the right place to do it, and you haven't got the right kind of environment to do it, then. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't like, do it. Only Absolutely do it when you right. can do yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I have been able to. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I've, I, it's been
0: delight, uh, delightful having you on. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, I'm glad. It was well worth the wait.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, I'll definitely go and, and buy your book now. And maybe I should start a podcast. If I do, I'm going to definitely have to. Oh, you'll on. be
0: great. Yeah, you, you're, you're a natural. You're, I think you really enjoy it i'm chatty enough for it and and, and it's, a, it's a different it's a different i mean just just a, a, as an aside i i i've had agoraphobia for about two years off the back of this whatever it is and the podcast has really helped me and instead of me going to meet people and talk to them people have been coming to me it's been fantastic so so that's been great anyway thanks again for coming on on to the podcast i really appreciate it and i'll say goodbye Thank for now enough.
1: Thank
0: you, you. bye. Huge thanks to Rosie for coming onto the show. You'll find all her links in the blurb. On that very subject, I'd be delighted if you'd get in touch. You'll find all my contact details in the blurb too. I'm always on the lookout for guests. If you've got a story to tell, then I'd love to hear from you. As ever, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, comment on Twitter or Facebook. It really does leave me with a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Till the next time, I've been Chris Young, and you've been rather lovely. Walk a mile.